you're here this morning, a special welcome if you are worshiping with us uh, maybe for the first time today. And whether you are worshiping with us for the first time today or you've been here many, many times uh, as, as a regular act of worship, uh, you are not here by accident. None of us are here by accident. It is God's great kind grace that has drawn us here. And that doesn't mean that you need to know why you're here. You may still be not quite sure of why am I here. That's okay. The Lord can deal with that. He's not afraid of you. He's not afraid of uh, drawing you here. He has a purpose for you. So we'll trust the Lord. We'll continue to reveal that uh, as we turn our attention to his word. I'm in Mark chapter 7 here this morning. So I'd encourage you to turn in your Bibles. The words will be up on screen as well. So you can follow along there. We continue our series here in the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, second book of the New Testament. Mark chapter 7, and I'll be reading starting at verse 14 and going through verse 23. Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 14. If you're able to, would you please stand as I read God's word for us this morning? Mark 7, verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Would you join me in prayer? Our great God and heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us by your grace. Lord, give us ears to hear, give us ears to listen, so that we might be changed, that we might be transformed. Lord, we don't want to leave here 40 minutes from now without ever worshiping you. So if, if we haven't yet really worshiped you this morning, forgive us. In your kind grace, lead us to repentance. But I pray that now, Perhaps we would truly begin to worship you, that we would hear your word, that we would listen closely, and God, that you would speak to us. We need to hear your voice. So speak to us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it didn't take me long in my marriage to Becky to realize that we had somewhat different views on cleanliness. We didn't always see eye to eye on what is clean and what is not. So fairly early in our marriage, I would wear a shirt, and as long as it didn't have 
pizza stains or barbecue stains all over it. I just assumed that it was clean. I mean, there's nothing externally that would seem to indicate that it was unclean. So if I know I'm going to wear it, maybe, maybe not every day in a row, but with alarming regularity, why bother hanging it up? Why don't you just leave it on the couch or the chair? But I soon realized that, in fact, there was a, there was a better way, a better way to keep shirts clean, and that that involved soap. <laughs> and so thankfully, Becky took a different approach to what was clean and what was not. The same principle, I think I applied to, to dirty dishes or plates. I'm going to use one. Three hours from now, I'm going to use it again, and probably about four hours later, I'm going to use it again. So why bother rinsing? Why bother washing? In fact, I'm probably saving time by just using the same thing. Aren't you pleased with me, young bride of mine? So I've, I've learned a lot being married. Having kids brings this discussion of what is clean and what is unclean to kind of a whole new level, doesn't it? Buddy, your hands are really dirty. You've been playing in the mud. You need to wash those. That's, that's not what I mean. Or, come here, son, you stink. When was the last time you showered? He's like, well, the end of August. It's the end of October. You need to shower. There are different ideas in operation of what is clean and what is not clean. The Bible talks a great deal about clean and unclean. And when the Bible talks, though, about cleanliness... It really has nothing to do with personal hygiene. Wash your hands, take a shower, put your dirty clothes in the washing machine. Now, clean in the Bible has to do with, with a moral purity, with a spiritual purity, so that you can actually approach God, so that you and I can actually worship God. When you read in the Bible, particularly here in the Old Testament, I'm thinking here of the Old Testament laws, really in the book of Leviticus, you don't have to read too long in a book like Leviticus to realize that on the one hand, or first, God is eminently holy. He is perfect. There's no defilement in him at all. And he requires then that his people approach him in purity. And so as you flip through, and to be honest, nobody really flips through Leviticus. But as you read Leviticus, you realize that that whole idea of clean and unclean is mentioned 70, and, and that word is actually used well over 100 times just in that one book. So admittedly, we may not understand, there are some hard things in Leviticus, we may not understand all of those commands, but we get the idea that we cannot approach a holy God just as we are, because we're all unclean. And again, the issue is not personal hygiene but our spiritual cleanliness, our uh, internal cleanliness to approach God and to worship him. And the bottom line in Leviticus is that if you are unclean, and there are many, many ways for people like us to be unclean. If you're unclean, you don't have access to God. So God has his standards of moral cleanliness, of spiritual purity, and, and so do we, don't we? I mean, most of us here, most of you here, have some sense of, of what it means to be, well, spiritually clean and actually the opposite, spiritually unclean. And maybe you don't use those words, but, but most of us here have some idea that I, I don't think I'm altogether pure or clean, that maybe something's not right, and perhaps maybe the issue actually is me. Maybe there is something wrong 
with me. You don't even need to be particularly religious to sense this. We know what it's like. We know what, it's, we know what it feels like to be unclean. You, you yell at your kids for the umpteenth time in like an hour. And then you deal with the shame of that and the guilt of that for several hours after that. You give in once again to that thing that you hate, the thing that people are praying about you, the thing that you, you tell everyone, I don't want to give in again, I don't want to indulge, but you do because in that moment you love it, and then what? You, you actually feel dirty, unclean. Or you just consider your past. Every one of us here has one, whether that's an hour ago, 10 days ago, four years ago, or 40 years ago. And that past is filled with regret, Weakness, sins, shame, sufferings. We know that something's not quite right. We're not. We're not completely clean, at least spiritually speaking. Jesus meets this issue here of clean and unclean, of what actually defiles us and what does not defile us, head on here in Mark chapter 7. There were all kinds of ideas dominating the landscape in that day of what is clean and what is unclean, and leave it to Jesus to speak with characteristic boldness, uh, clarity. He dispels the fog, and he actually tells us the truth. And so from this text, I, I want us to wrestle really with three questions this morning, three questions that we actually need to wrestle with, and if I'm real honest, and I am, it's not just that we have to wrestle with these questions. We have to make sure that we answer them correctly, biblically. Here's question number one. We are all unclean, but why? We're all unclean spiritually, but why? Verses 14 through 15. And he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now, we need to appreciate, brothers and sisters, how absolutely stunning and provocative and radical this statement was from Jesus. I mean, he seems to be overturning several centuries of religious rituals, many of them found in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 11, Leviticus chapter 17, I'm thinking of a passage of Deuteronomy chapter 14. For God-fearing Israelites, these were very important texts for them because it spelled out for them what to eat, what not to eat. How do you become unclean? How do you become clean? Laws against eating the blood of animals. What foods are kosher? And so if you came in contact with blood, well, you're unclean. But it's actually worse than that. If you came in contact with somebody else who came in contact with blood, well, you're, you still remain unclean. And so then as we turn our pages to, to the world of the New Testament, you had devout Jews called Pharisees. They added on top of this. So they actually operated with the assumption that there were all kinds, hundreds of things outside of a person that could make you unclean, that could actually defile you. And so as a result, they came up with their own system, a very complicated system of religious rules and rituals and observances to ensure that they would remain undefiled. There's so much out here that we need to keep from, so we're going to have rules for all of that so that uh, we will not be contaminated by what we eat, by what we touch, that we're going to remain spiritually clean. 
What they failed to grasp was that the real dirt was on the inside. That's where the real dirt was. And so notice what Jesus does here. He actually reverses the direction. It's not what's outside of you that's coming in that makes you unclean. Jesus says it's what's already inside of you that then comes out of you. That's what makes you unclean. So Jesus, again, he's addressing the crowds here, and he's saying, look, you're all unclean, but not for the reason that you think, but not because of how you've been taught for all these centuries. So we're all unclean, spiritually speaking, but why? Well, because of what's internal, because of what's inside, not external, not what's outside and somehow seeps its way in. No, the problem, brothers and sisters, is Well, it's deep inside of every one of us. It's the inner impurities that defile all of us rather than something from outside that, as I said, somehow makes its way in. Now, you might think, wow, that kind of seems harsh from Jesus. I mean, that that seems a little bit rough. Can it be that bad? I mean, I was really blessed to grow up with, you know, really wonderful God-fearing parents, and they took me to church all the time, and we they provided all kinds of wonderful opportunities for me. I mean, doesn't that count for, for something? Doesn't that mitigate some of the bad that Jesus is talking about here? I mean, doesn't that make me at least halfway spiritually clean? Or perhaps you might be the parent here this morning, and you're saying, look, I homeschool my kids because of this. I send my kids to private Christian school. I mean, they're surrounded by other Christians 24-7. I mean, all of their friends are Christians. I make sure that our internet filters are working. Every other day I check that stuff. We are keeping the bad culture outside. All the pop culture that we don't want. All that evil. It's out there but it doesn't get anywhere near my house or near my kids. And all of those evil societal structures that need reformation and and yes there are. I mean we shouldn't be surprised that there are all kinds of evil societal structures because they're made up of people like this. I stay away from all of that too. I'm doing everything I can to block out the bad and keep everybody that I care about spiritually clean. Don't miss the point that Jesus is actually saying here. We are not spiritually unclean because we live in a culture of moral filth and wickedness and impurity. We're actually spiritually unclean because of the moral filth and spiritual impurities inside of us that then we act upon and we live those out. So one of the challenges, church, in reading a text like this is immediately we read this and we think, okay, I got it. This is us versus them. We're the holy ones surrounded by a lot of unholy people. We're the clean. Everybody else is unclean. This is not us versus them. This is us. This is us. Every last one of us. So it doesn't matter if you grew up in the church or this is your first time at church. It doesn't matter if you're a registered Republican or a Democrat or independent. It doesn't matter if you're white or black or some other ethnicity. It doesn't matter if you're liberal, conservative, traditional, progressive, working class or not working at all. It doesn't matter if you're seven years old or 70 years old or maybe even a few years after that. The most deadly contamination is not outside of you. It's not what you eat. It's not what you touch that then somehow just makes its way in, and then suddenly you are unclean. 
No, the most deadly contamination is what's already inside of you and me. And that's what we need to be most concerned about. In fact, because that's what defiles all of us. It's what's inside. Now, the crowd that was hearing this, that had gathered around Jesus, they're kind of scratching their heads at this point. It's not just the crowd, though. The disciples of Jesus, they need some clarity. They actually need a sidebar with Jesus. And so they say, hey, Lord, you're going to have to explain what you just said. Verse 17, Jesus actually gives them then a rather crude picture of what he just means. Meaning, in effect, Jesus is saying, guys, why would you even think that something outside yourself, why would you even think that food could make you unclean? Because just go with me here, disciples. You eat food, yeah. Goes into your mouth, yes. Goes to the stomach, yes. And then it goes out the other end. Right. Why would you say, literally, Jesus says it goes into the latrine. So it doesn't touch anything. It comes in one end, and right out the other. So that Jesus is saying, that's not what makes you unclean. And in fact, if you look at verse 19, Jesus declares all food clean, which is yet another radical statement here from Jesus. Again, think about the disciples who are hearing this. For all these years, these disciples understood if they were to be a God-fearer, if they were to really worship God, if you're a religious person, if you take God seriously then you just don't eat certain foods. You abstain according to the Old Testament law. This is actually one of the reasons why, church, in the New Testament, there's a big deal that's made about food. And I don't know if you, I mean, you can just kind of flip through Peter and in Acts, later in 1 Timothy. It's like, what's the fixation with food in the New Testament? Now, as a foodie, I kind of appreciate that. I think that's kind of cool. But, but what's, Jesus, what's he saying here? Jesus here has just declared all foods clean. So his disciples are looking at him saying, who gives you the right to do that? And what did you just say? No one had the authority to say that. To make that kind of pronouncement unless the perfect lawgiver has come to actually fulfill the law. In other words, only God could make that kind of announcement. And so Jesus here is rendering all the laws about clean and unclean food absolutely obsolete. He's actually saying, guys, it's actually fulfilled in me. I've come to fulfill the law. So Jesus, in effect, he looks at his disciples. I kind of feel like he took a deep breath at this point. Let me just get this, make sure you're tracking with me here, guys. This is not about bread or food or human waste, because you understand you eat food, it comes in, it goes right out. Doesn't touch anything. That's not what makes you unclean. So the obvious question then is what does? And this is the second question that we need to wrestle with. We are all unclean, but where? Where? And the answer that Jesus gives us here is in our hearts. Our hearts. Verses 20 through 22. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, 
foolishness. Jesus roots all of our bad behavior in the very center of who we are, in the very core of who we are. That is our hearts. So when Jesus is speaking here, he's not talking about our physical heart. He's talking about our spiritual heart. So when you think about the heart, biblical language, the heart is the real you. It's your true self. In other words, the heart is the person that people see, whether there's thousands of people to watch or whether no one's watching. It's the real you. It's the very center of your human personality. So it involves your emotions, yes, but it involves so much more than your emotions. We're not just talking about feelings here. Biblically speaking, the heart is your command center. It's a spiritual nerve center. It involves your mind, your will, your emotions, your desires, all of that. That is the heart. It is the real you. And the point that Jesus is making is that all of this uncleanness, this evil, that doesn't come from somewhere outside here and then suddenly goes into your heart. It's actually already there. On the inside, it's in your heart, and then it goes out. Now that is, again, that is astonishing that Jesus would say that, because what he's, in fact, just saying here is that the basic problem with humanity, and we know this, don't we? The basic problem with us human beings from Genesis chapter 3 on, from the fall of man, is not so much what we do, but it is, in fact, much deeper than that. It's who we are. Who we are in the real us who you are, the real you, in your heart. And our hearts are dark. And they are defiled. And they are contaminated. And they're sinful. And so don't miss the point that Jesus is saying here. We live out of our hearts. What that means then is that eventually, whatever it is that's going on inside of your heart, that will come out in words, in actions. It will be evident at some point. Now, if you don't get that straight, then you're probably not going to really understand the gospel. You're probably not going to understand the claims of Christ. You're not going to accept the claims of Christ, and you're probably not going to grow in the grace of the gospel. We're all unclean, the very core in our hearts. Now, if you look at verses uh, 21 and 22, many commentators here see evil thoughts as actually being a summary statement of then the 12 really evil actions and attitudes that follow. One theologian actually looked at, this, looked at this list of vices and said, these are the fingers of sin. I think he's right. This is what we grab onto. This is what we clutch. This is what we're after. This is what we desire. This is what we want to grab hold and bring closer. This is what we most want, the fingers of sin. And all of these things come out of that same heart. Now, I'm not going to take the time to go through every last one of these, let's say, 12 vices. I think most of them are actually pretty self-explanatory. So in other words, if you say, you know, hey, if I steal your stuff, does that make me a bad person? And I'll say, well, no, actually, your heart is dark and sinful. That's actually why you steal my stuff. So please stop stealing my stuff. Sexual immorality evil thoughts, sexual morality, obviously prevalent in our day as it was here in the first century. Now, Jesus here uses the word porneia, which, again, is our English word. That's where we derive our English word, pornography. But porneia here is an all-encompassing term. 
to include all manner of sexual immorality. So it's common today as well, you've probably heard this, I've read all kinds of blogs about this, that say, well, Jesus never mentioned anything about homosexuality or LGBT issues. And that is patently false. He, in fact, does that right here. This is exactly what he's doing. This is called porneia. So Jesus means to be as broad and expansive and comprehensive as he possibly can be. That's why he uses this word to describe uh, any sexual knowing or stimulation outside of the marriage of a biological man and woman, male and female. That's porneia. It is a very wide net that Jesus casts here. And truthfully, every one of us is in it. So this, on the one hand, is not Jesus railing against gay people. If anything, he's railing against any and all sexual sins and practices that that are against God's good, wise design for men and women. So that includes adultery, pornography, prostitution, homosexuality, sexual immorality of all kinds. And again, this this is not them out there. This is us. We are all, as a result of the fall, every one of us is sexually broken in some way. In some way. Out of our hearts come sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit. Literally, that means deceiving people. You know what deceit is? It's not just like swindling a whole bunch of money or something and lying about it. Deceit is having a conversation with a person. You say, wow, I really like that jacket. Looks good. And then turning around and two minutes later, talking to a few other people and saying, that jacket looks terrible. I can't believe she's wearing that. Or I'm really thankful you're my boss. I'm really thankful for this job. And then three hours later, ripping them around the water cooler. That's deceit. Sensuality. Envy. Let's think about envy for a moment, shall we? It's actually two Greek words, one for evil, one for I. So literally, envy is an evil I. That's where we get that expression. So an envious person has an evil I. So envy is looking up to someone, perhaps, who's in a different state or season than you, maybe someone who's higher than you, has, has, has virtues, perhaps, that that you don't, and you feel inferior to them, and so you resent them, and your goal is just to bring them down. It's seeing with your evil eye what other people have. Success, popularity, money, friends, status, personality, and then doing everything you can do to cut them down to size. So an envious person actually finds ways to judge other people finds ways to be critical of others. But, but notice the movement here. And where does envy begin? Like all of these other vices. It doesn't begin in the eye. It begins in the heart and goes out through the eye. Slander, pride, foolishness, this all works the same way. This is kind of a pride that says, look, I, I know I'm not perfect, but I am way better than that guy. And I got to be at least on par or maybe slightly better than 90% of people here. Now, these are not the thoughts that we share in home group. But are they in operation in our lives? Just because we don't share it in a home group or we don't tell our discipleship leader doesn't mean that it's not there. C.S. Lewis said of pride, 
You can't look up to God if you are looking down at other people. So this is weighty stuff, admittedly. I mean, we read these verses here. We want to take Jesus at his word. And so we recognize just how deep our problem really is. We are actually unclean in so many different ways. So our summary statement from Jesus here in verse 23, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So we're all unclean, the inside out. And so if you're here this morning thinking that, man, if you can just, if I can just stay away from certain things out here, if, if I can just follow some religious rules or some best spiritual practices, then I think I'm going to be good. I think I'm, I can maintain a certain level of spiritual cleanliness. Well, you would be fooling yourself. And in fact, you're not really dealing with reality. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 3, 23. For we have all sinned and, again, the emphasis there is all, fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all unclean. Why? It's internal. It's not out there. We're all unclean where? At the very core, in, in the real you, in our hearts. Here's the third question we need to wrestle with, and this is by way of application. We need to be spiritually clean, but how? We need to be spiritually clean, but how? How do we get clean and stay clean? That's our great and urgent need this morning. We need to be spiritually clean. And we need to stay spiritually clean, but how do we do that? You know, for many in this country, and I would say even many professing Christians, Christianity, the gospel, basically means two things. I'm going to try to go to church as much as I can, at least semi-regularly. I'm going to try and make a good, good attempt. And the second thing is I'm going to try to be a good person. And if I can just keep doing those two things, I'm going to try to get myself to church. I'm going to try to be a good moral person. I'm going to be kind. Well, I think God will somehow make it possible that it's just going to all work out in the end. This is how I'm going to be right with him. This is how I'm going, I'm going to be clean enough. Give me a list then of do's and don'ts. Give me a list of books to read and books not to read. Give me a, a, a list of places to go and not to go. And I'm just going to follow that. I'm going to manage that. I'm going to follow the script. That's how I'm going to become clean. And so many people, by default in, in this country, really claim that the Christian faith is basically that. It's a better way to manage your life so that you don't do something really stupid or really embarrassing. Is that the essence of Christianity? I mean, is that the good news of the gospel, that Jesus came on this earth so that you wouldn't embarrass yourself? I don't know about you, but reading that seems like we're way beyond that point, don't you think? We're way beyond the point of embarrassing ourselves. The problem, as Jesus has stated, is far deeper than we want to think. So no amount of external rule-keeping, I'm going to try to get to church, I'm going to try to come to home group, I'm going to try to read a Bible, pray, no amount of your dedicated efforts to try to be a good moral person can actually make you spiritually clean. And in fact, brothers and sisters, it's actually far worse than that. Because you know what happens? It is so, so easy to hide behind those two things. It's so easy to hide behind, well, I'm going to drag myself to church. 
and I'm going to try and be a good person. Those things are very, very attractive to hide behind. And when we hide behind those things, we never end up dealing with our hearts. We never pay attention to our hearts. We never really guard our hearts. And in fact, then, we never really come to grips with the, the fact that it is actually our heart that needs to be changed. We need to be clean. But how? Well, if we're taking Jesus at his word here, I mean, if, if really this is what's going on inside of our hearts, if this is the wickedness and the filth and the evil and the darkness that, that is, is true in the deepest part of our hearts, then we need God to act and move on our behalf to save us. Only the triune God could actually bring people like us to himself. And that's why hundreds of years earlier than, than when Jesus was teaching this here in Mark chapter 7, God revealed that that day would come when he would actually deal with our unclean hearts. This is Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. I will sp sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Notice what he says here. And I will deliver you from what? All your uncleannesses. You can't give yourself a new heart. You can't make yourself clean. You can't save yourself. God must do it. He must act. If you're here this morning, you think, well, I don't even know if I believe in God. I'm not even sure that there is a God. I'm really glad you're here, but man, you are in deep, deep weeds. And perhaps you're here this morning and think, well, I actually believe that there is a God, but I don't know, I was kind of thinking that if maybe if I just hang around with other people who also get to some extent that they're bent, like me, that if, if, if maybe we just pool all of our resources together and so there's just a lot of bent people together and we, we have symposiums, symposiums, I can't even say it, but we get together <laughs> and we, we talk about it, then maybe that will be the solution. We can kind of pull all our resources together and a lot of bent people together, we can all straighten ourselves out. Well, that has been tried and found wanting. In fact, have we not been doing that now for, well, every day since Genesis chapter 3? Since the fall of man, we've all tried to figure out what is our problem? Something's not right with us human beings. Well, perhaps then it's we need more education or we need more opportunities or we need systematic change in societal structures and perhaps all of that is true to some extent. But, but the answer still lies out there. If we can just change what's out there, that will make an impact on what's going on in here. So we think. But maybe you're here and you say, well, no, no, I think the answer is, is more personal. I need more willpower. I need more self-control. I need somebody to love me better than my dad did. I need somebody to make up for what my mother clearly lacked. Or you might just say, look, I'm just a teenager. All teenagers are like this. This is how all teenagers are. So, you know, the biggest problem in life is that I'm a teenager. I mean, tell that to your physics teacher. No, we remain spiritually unclean. 
with no answers for our sins, our shame, our guilt. Mark, brothers and sisters, has been telling us, in one sense, he's, it's like he's shouting to us over and over again that Jesus is God. And he proved it by walking on water, by healing the sick, by raising the dead, ultimately by dying on the cross and being raised in victory three days later. So this miracle-working God, this true king that we're reading about here, he has actually done something for you and for me. He has acted on your behalf to do something that you could never do yourself. So here's what that means. The only way that you can become spiritually clean is to come to the one who can make you clean. It's to turn to, to King Jesus. So do you understand that you don't have to remain unclean this morning? You, you don't have to remain spiritually defiled this morning. And you might say, well, okay, I get it. You want me to confess that. It's good and right to admit you're spiritually unclean. That's half of it. But that's, a, that's only going halfway. Do you understand, actually, that God has made it possible in Jesus Christ that you can actually be made clean? That King Jesus can make you spiritually clean. He's the one that took all your reproach, all your sin, all your shame, all your defilement. All of that is nailed to the cross. And in return, well, he gave you himself. His moral perfections, his 100% holiness, his absolute righteousness. So here's what happens, brothers and sisters. When by faith, your unclean heart meets clean, perfect, pure, undefiled Jesus, you can be clean. You can be clean forever. Jesus can make you clean. But you absolutely must turn to him. And you need to do that today. And that's our great need this morning. Whether you've been walking with the Lord for many, many years, decades perhaps, or whether you've actually never turned to Jesus in saving faith, our great need this morning is to get spiritually clean and to stay, remain spiritually clean. So as we close here, what might that look like? Let me bring it down here. Let me read 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to do what? Cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. This, this, those two verses there have been called the ABCs of Christianity or the ABCs of the gospel because there are ABCs. You ready for the A? Admit you are unclean. Admit that you are spiritually defiled. Here's the B. Receive the cleansing blood of Jesus that covers all of your impurities. Receive the blood of Jesus. And the C, go and keep his commandments. And if you read a little bit more in 1 John 2, he 
speaks a lot about the need to obey, the need to keep his commandments. So there we have the ABCs. Admit your sins. Receive the blood of Jesus that absolutely covers you. And then keep his commandments. Church, that's how we get spiritually clean, and that's how we will stay spiritually clean. That's how we get clean, and that's how we, in fact, live clean. We actually need God to tell us what he has done for us. And then we need God to tell us how to receive what he has done for us, and we need God to tell us how to live in step with all that he has done for us. And that's what he does in the gospel. That's what we see in the ministry, in the life of Jesus. And what we see is that you and I need to be transformed. And we need to be transformed from the inside out. So the gospel, the good news of all the saving work of Jesus is not, here's how you get clean. Come to church, try and be a good person. If you come to church, try to show up on time, that's cool. Follow the program. No. There's no hope in that. The good news of the gospel is that you are spiritually unclean. And you don't need to follow a program. You do need to trust in a person, a living redeemer. Only through the finished work of Jesus Christ can you become clean. King Jesus can give you a clean heart. So yes, follow the ABCs. Admit you're unclean. Receive the blood of Jesus that cleanses you. And then follow him. Follow his commandments. Obey him. When the Lord looks at your heart this day, and he is, what does he actually see? Let's pray.